section thirty two of egypt africa and arabia this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the world's story volume three egypt africa and arabia edited by eva march tappan section thirty two going to see pharaoh rameses the second by hardwick d ronsley i was going to see pharaoh and stood in the doorway of the salle de Momy. nay i was in his audience chamber now round me as i looked or rather on three sides of me lay with their feet towards me what might have been twelve coffins they were in reality twelve great cases of pitch-pine with glass lids inside which the coffins and the mighty dead now lay these glass coffin containers were all covered with palls as it seemed of drab cloth a curious feeling of an inquest came over me and i felt as if i were in a death-chamber about to gaze upon twelve dead bodies and yet a voice within me seemed to say they are not dead they sleep do not wake them neither i nor the guide spoke what a presence-chamber it was beneath these shrouds on my right lay nearest me Penetem the second the fourth priest-king of the twenty-first or herhor dynasty next mccary ramaka with her little child a pink-gray bundle at her feet poor queen she died in childbirth next nepseni the famous priest-scribe of the herhor dynasty next notemhit or netemhut the proud mother of herhor the founder of this line of priest-kings in whose family vault these pharaohs of the eighteenth and nineteenth dynasties had been so marvellously preserved to us not one of these mummies lived before eleven hundred b c or after one thousand b c immediately in front of me lay four other illustrious dead in their glass-covered drab-palled coffin-cases ammes the first or amosis the friend of the gallant old pug-faced admiral who bore his name and who fought his ships of old so bravely the calf and the north and the going up into memphis ames the founder of the eighteenth dynasty date seventeen hundred b c the conqueror at avaris and sharahan the warrior of a twenty-two years war the restorer of the rightful line of pharaohs after the expulsion of the shepherd kings next to him on his left as i looked rameses the second next to him seti the first his father thirteen sixty six b c both of the nineteenth dynasty next him thothmes the second king of the eighteenth dynasty b c sixteen hundred to complete the horseshoe on the left side of the room we must name amenophis the first who succeeded ames the second king of the eighteenth dynasty sixteen hundred and sixty six b c next to him on his left as i gazed lay rameses the third the founder of the twentieth dynasty twelve hundred b c next to him princess nesi chensu of the twenty-first dynasty and last and next to her raskinen tiuakwen the man who fought and fell for liberty in the war of independence that eventually banished the hyksos somewhere in the seventeenth century b c all this was not of course known to me as i approached the mighty pharaoh where he lay i had a general idea that i was in the presence of royalty that had fallen asleep between sixteen hundred and eighty and one thousand years before christ the thought staggered me rameses kabir 
hanak pharaoh the great one is there said the swarthy guide and with a look of reverence upon his fine face he moved the coverlet and paul a little from the glass slowly turned it back and let it slide of its own weight off the sloping frame and there full length within his coffin looking up at me with his proud gaunt face that had outfaced the world with his withered hands across his breast almost in attitude of prayer the mighty king in his great slumber lay and i knew what it was to be in the presence of him before whom egypt trembled and the hittites fled and from whom the israelites bowed down in bitter bondage in the brickfields of rameses and patam cried unto the lord their god there anak too the great warrior as he was called was taking his rest he who had escaped from the hittites when he was all alone and none other was with him who had burst through the blazing faggots of reeds that so nigh consumed his royal tent at pelusium that day his treacherous brother made him his guest and would have murdered him as he slept full of wine he who had faced death in so many ways was now alone was dead but dead he yet defied corruption the coffin wherein the great pharaoh rested was about two inches thick less thick and much less deep and less large than the one near it in which his father seti lay washed with pinkish colour outside it was within painted with a yellow wash of ochre its bottom roughly daubed with pitch made as all the osirian coffins are made more or less to fit the body this was no exception to the rule but at a glance after contrasting it with the usual elaborately ornamented and decorated insides of coffins of royalty with their winged hawks their uda eyes their emblems of the guardians of the soul their goddess neiths their priests in attitude of offering and the like it was quite plain that this was not the original coffin in which somewhere about the year thirteen hundred b c the pharaoh rameses the second had been laid but one that had been made in haste and that by appearance and shape was as late as the twenty-first dynasty two inscriptions in hieratics bear out this first we learn from these that the official inspectors of the tombs in the sixth year of herhor founder of the twenty-first dynasty visited the royal tomb eleven hundred b c there for two centuries the body had probably lain undisturbed but it is clear that about this time as we learn from the abbot papyrus the tombs of the royal kings were being looted the amherst papyrus details a full confession of a tomb-breaker and body-snatcher of this date we found the august king says this penitent thief with his divine axe beside him and his amulets and ornaments of gold about his neck his head was covered with gold and his august person was entirely covered with gold his coffin was overlaid with gold and silver within and without and encrusted with all kinds of precious stones what think you did this forerunner of the rogue abd er rasul do hear his own confession we took the gold which we found upon the sacred person of this god as also his amulets and the ornaments which were about his neck and the coffins in which he reposed it is more than probable that the tomb inspector of herhor found that the coffin of rameses the second was being thus tampered with for we find that ten years after that first official inspection a commission of priests visits the coffin of rameses the second which is no longer in his own eternal home but in the tomb of his father seti the first on an inscription on the coffins of seti and rameses the second it is stated that the bodies of the kings father and son are unharmed but for safety's sake they deem it expedient to move the mummies to the tomb of queen ansera of the eighteenth dynasty 
but again the robbers got wind of it in ten years time in the twentieth year of pinotum the first that is in about the year ten twenty three b c this body on which we are gazing was removed for security's sake to the tomb of amenophis the first the second king of the eighteenth dynasty who had died sixteen hundred and thirty five b c it rested here for six years and then as we learn from hieratics on one of the breast bandages of the royal mummy pharaoh was removed for the fourth time and carried to his father's tomb in the valley of the kings he was not found there after all but in the family vault of herhor as we know at der el bahari is it to be wondered at then that this rough coffin-case in which the great king lies is not the original coffin but shows signs of haste and expediency in its making now look at the mummy he fairly fills the coffin link yes though he has shrunk as all dead bodies do as old men are shrunk before they die he measures still more than six feet as he lies he must have in life been six foot two or six foot three at least a life guardsman in mould in very truth he must have seemed withered though the muscles on his neck to his spinal column's girth be what a length of neck it must have seemed and swathed though he be in his yellow mummy-cloth shroud of well-woven linen yet his shoulders are bare to view what mighty shoulders they were what breadth of chest must have been his i gazed upon pharaoh i saw him standing in his chariot once again on that glorious battlefield of kadesh by the river orontes when he arose as the contemporary court poet pentaur tells us in his forcible epic like menthu god of war and urged on his steeds whose names were triumph in thebes and the divine mother none dared follow he was alone and none other with him and lo he was encircled by the katan host twenty-five hundred chariots were around him and countless hosts cut off the way behind not one of his friends not one of the captains of his chariots not one of his knights was with him his bodyguard had abandoned him and i seemed to see the great warrior lift himself in his chariot and hear him cry unto the lord his god in passionate prayer where art thou my father amen has ever a father forgotten his son shall it be for nothing that i have dedicated to thee many and noble temples my warriors have deserted me but what are multitudes of men against me more to me is thy power than myriads of men on thee father amen do i call a light seemed again to come into the dead warrior's face as he felt his prayer was heard in the temple of the god at hermonthus amen heard his voice and came to his cry he reached his hand to him and the warrior shouted for joy he called out to him i have hastened to thee rameses my well-beloved the brave heart i love it has my blessing i am with thee i am he thy father the sun-god ra my hand is with thee all this so sang pentaur the bard came to pass and we as we look upon this great king in his coffin now we can see him in the fury of that desperate charge rushing on his foes like a flame of fire see those long arms and that powerful frame swayed in the terrible contest and dealing the blows of a giant right and left while the hittites fell like chaff before the feet of his horses and we can realize how terrible how like a god he must then have seemed of whom the poet sang i was changed at the voice of amen being made like the god menthu in my might i hurled the dart with my right hand i fought with my left none dared to raise his hand against me they could not shout nor grasp the spear their limbs gave way beneath them 
i made them fall into the water as the crocodiles fall into the stream each cried to his fellow it is no mortal man who is against us it is seti the mighty it is the god of war i think as one realizes the statue of rameses the second laid in his long coffin as one looks on his face in the sleep that knows no breaking one can imagine the awe and terror with which when roused to passion or rebuke this god incarnate as he was believed to be must have been invested at court or camp on throne or battlefield terrible as his favourite lion semen kef to f or terror to pieces must have seemed as it lay at his throne steps or ramped to battle at the chariot wheel of his royal master more terrible must have seemed the lord of lions and the lion's city heliopolis the son of the sun the favourite of Amon, as with his reins girt round about his waist to leave his great arms free for bow and spear rameses the second rushed into battle and thundered his commands let us look at his face closely in colour it is light brown almost yellow in fairness the head is narrow and is what we should call dolichocephalic that is the head is thin and projects far backward the length from nose to back of the skull is very considerable there is a swelling out of the skull over the ears i expect the believer in bumps would say that pharaoh was probably mischievous the forehead is high but so far from being straight or prominent it retreats and must have in life taken much from the dignity of the face the eyes are nearer than i had expected to see them nearer together as i found out afterwards than his father seti's eyes the eyebrows to judge by the sparse white hairs that still remain must have been thick certainly if we may judge from a gem which gives us the portrait of his mesopotamian mother queen tua his eyebrows were his mother's eyebrows bald though he was on the crown of his head he must have had abundance of hair by what remains to him at the back it is true it appears now yellow but this is partially owing to the stains of the embalming unguents and the old man of near a hundred summers must have gone to his grave with a circlet of snow-white hair snow-white eyebrows and a snow-white moustache upon his upper lip but it was not in his head that lay his strength nor in his brow nor in his eyes no pharaoh's strength of face lay and lies in the nose the ears the mouth and the chin the nose unlike his father's and his mother's is napoleonic a beaked bourbon nose truly the bandages of the mummy shroud have pressed upon the tip of the nose and exaggerated the eagle beakedness but it must have been the feature of the great pharaoh's face this great strong aquiline nose the ears are large and flat larger than were the ears of any of the royal mummies i examined great elephant flappers of ears that stood out from the head have often seen such ears associated with love of music and i do not believe that the poets pentaur and amenemhat would have had so much encouragement given them under rameses the second had not this pharaoh loved the sound of the harpers the ears had been bored for jewels but both lower lobes had been broken the cheekbones were high and prominent and gave perhaps in life a certain haughty overbearing strength to the less powerful upper part of the face i was struck by the length from the nose to the lip as for the mouth it had once had lips full-fleshed fuller fleshed certainly than the lips of seti his father and though the mouth was a little brutal i should think in life it did not give me the impression of sensualism or want of refinement it was a strong mouth it was a stubborn mouth it seemed a mouth of contempt and self-will a mouth of pride but not necessarily a mouth of animalism 
the teeth were white much worn and brittle but wonderful teeth for a centenarian and well set the strength of the face was emphasized by the chin square and massive with great length from front of chin to ear full of power and force the pride of the face seemed doubled by the set of that chin there were upon it slight traces of a beard of coarse hair that may have grown after death the face was worn and thin what old man's of near a hundred years would not be there were slight traces of wrinkles upon the brow the father of a hundred and nineteen children fifty-nine sons and sixty daughters as the outer wall of the temple of abydos tells us he was the possessor of many concubines and of at least four lawful wives we might have supposed that the cares of a family would have worn his face if the cares of all egypt and the egyptian court life of sixty-seven years for the monuments expressly tell us he did reign sixty-seven years had not left their mark upon it but though a side face or profile view of the great king as obtained by a photograph gives a look of fatigue and a certain gladness to be at rest i could not do what i would see in that proud obstinate face of the warrior king in his shroud before me anything that looked like a yielding to the weight of years there was a kind of what is all this to me am i not the son of the sun rameses favourite of amon shall not my years endure as long as the sun shineth in his strength will not my sun that sets arise in the morning monsieur maspero wrote the day he unwrapped the great sesostris you will find it in the academy of july three eighteen eighty six in fine the mask of the mummy gives a very sufficient idea of what the king was in life an expression not very intellectual perhaps rather animal but of pride and obstinacy and with an air of sovereign majesty still to be seen through all the grotesque appearance of the embodiment i did not find this animalism was in the face rather as i note on looking at my diary of several audiences of the great pharaoh in his death-chamber i felt that there was a certain refinement about a face whose weakness lay in the forehead whose might lay in the chin and in the eagle nose as for the rest of the body still might be seen the wound in the side whence the embalmer's hand withdrew the viscera at the time of death the thighs and legs were thin the feet large and flat i was struck with the coarseness or thickness of the ankles but got therefrom an idea of the robust strength of this pharaoh whose natural force was unabated when the death hour came and who could probably then as he did in the hittite battle stand alone his feet had been after the fashion of the time rubbed red with henna and as i looked on the hands laid peacefully across one another on his breast the left hand over the right i noticed what long hands and fingers they were how neatly too the nails had been cut into points the middle finger of the left hand being specially noticeable and how carefully they also had been dyed with the rich red henna stain before they had been packed up finger by finger in the swathing bands of eternity the linen of the embalming priests ah how one wished to question the mighty monarch but he was silent his mouth stopped with the embalmer's black paste that was put there thirty one hundred and eighty-seven years ago and this is the bull in the land of rutenu the hawk of the sun a knock to the warrior he who conquered cush and led into captivity the people of shashu the hero of the battle against the ketta who washed his heart as the poet puts it in the blood of his enemies the architect of the city of the sun heliopolis and the temple city rameses the founder of memphis with his bull arena and its glorious temple to ptah or vulcan 
the beautifier of abydos the gold-digger in nubia the well-digger in the land of cush the brickmaker at patam and canal designer in the field of zoan the endower of libraries for thebes the mighty builder of the ramesseum the giver of a hundred temples to the gods in the land of egypt he who set up his mighty double images of limestone at memphis his red colossal statue on the theban plain who had himself painted at abu simbel and abydos and carved wonderfully at tanis and on the facade of the temple of hathor at abu simbel who sits on the southern colossus at the great temple of abu simbel who smiles upon us from the rosy cyanite that once adorned the ramesseum in the egyptian court of the british museum the inscriber of his name and deeds upon the obelisk which stands above our london river who calls himself thereon boastfully but truly enough the guardian of egypt chastiser of foreign lands dragging foreigners of the southern nations to the great sea and the foreigners of northern nations to the four poles of heaven the re-creator of egypt in a very real sense who in his prayer to the god of memphis said i have cared for the land in order to create for thee a new egypt of whom the scribe at memphis wrote all are as one to celebrate the powers of this god even of king rameses mary amen the war-god of the world there in his coffin life's battle won life's long work done lies the war-god and the peace-god of egyptian history a man who in his lifetime dared to associate himself with the great gods of ta and amon and horus father of the princess meris who drew moses from the bulrushes the oppressor of the children of israel we who bow the knee before the god he knew not how can we not be impressed with the thought of such pride in such ashes now before us yet he served his time prince of learning and father of the arts great in peace as he was great in war for a whole generation would know him more as an acute administrator than as a warrior king and had this pharaoh not lived and reigned his sixty-seven years the world would have been the poorer we feel what that shrivelled gaunt body in the coffin there aimed at and honoured as vital powers to kindle and restrain us still as i gazed for the last time upon that proud forcible face the gratitude and strength of the limestone colossus among the palms of memphis the gentleness and affection portrayed in the statue by the side of his wife at the right of the facade of the temple of hathor at abu simbel the superiority and calm carelessness of might upon the face of the southern colossus at the great temple of abu simbel the fire in his face in that war-chariot at the hittite battle as seen pictured at the ramesseum the thoughtfulness mingling with scorn of the colossal face at tanis all seemed to come together and live again in the withered cheeks of the tall old king the mummy of sesostris at the end of his thirty one hundred and eighty-seven years justifies all the chief portrait sculptors of his day as being true and makes us who have seen pharaoh again in the flesh acknowledge at the same time that this was indeed rameses the great one what a resurrection from the dead it all is how the centuries run back upon themselves as we gaze one of the very oars or paddles with which they rowed his body across the sacred lake to his burial in the hill above the theban plain is there within that cabinet close by and there too are the blue lotus flowers their colour still faint upon them with which they garlanded the dead king and decked him for the tomb End of section thirty two this recording is in the public domain